Hi, and welcome to Calm Cash. How are you doing? You hear that question all the time, right? You probably ask it to people all the time, too. What's your stock answer? Probably something like, oh, good, thanks. Or maybe you're excellent at grammar, and instead you say you're well. Either way, you probably don't say how you're really doing. And when you ask it to others, you probably don't expect to get the real answer. But I would say that question is one of the most important ones we can sincerely ask another person. It's at the core of understanding and connecting with others. It's the foundation of empathy. Empathy has been the connective tissue for human survival for millennia. But our empathy is eroding, and that makes understanding others and acting or advocating on their behalf harder and harder. With everything going on, we need empathy more than ever. The good news is we can all get better at being more empathic. So let's talk about how. I really love history, uh, especially World War II history for some reason. Uh, For me, like the heroes and villains just kind of leap off the page. So I've read a lot about it. Uh, One thing that many people don't know is that during the German Blitz of England, so this is when all the bombing was happening, the British government exported over one million children from city centers to live in the country with foster families, to live with complete strangers. It was the greatest meeting of strangers in British history and maybe in world history. So what happened? Well, you have these like well-off, you know, country or rural people who are seeing the realities of urban poverty in front of their faces for the very first time. The kids in their houses were malnourished. They had diseases. They had torn clothes and were mostly forgotten from a government support perspective. And there was a mass empathic response and public outcry from the citizens to the government. The outcry worked, and swift action was taken. Remember, this is in the middle of a war where bombs were literally falling in the city where politicians were living. It would have been really easy to say no, to say the war was the priority. But the politicians didn't say that because of the overwhelming response. They acted. There were new child welfare laws that were funded and passed. Free food was given to impoverished children. New healthcare programs and educational programs were all funded. It was the origins of the British welfare state. It goes to show that empathy is a force of change that at scale can shift the political and social landscape. It can also be a force for change very quickly, and we might be seeing that happening right now in front of our eyes with Black Lives Matter. But before we move forward, let's just level set on what empathy actually is or means. Empathy is not only sharing the emotions that someone is going through, but also having a shared understanding of why they are feeling the emotions that they're going through. It's a higher level of connection and understanding that sparks togetherness and feelings of belonging. But we have a problem and we have to address it head on. Our empathy is eroding. That means our ability to walk a mile in someone else's shoes and then more importantly go act or advocate on their behalf is in danger. Over the last 40 years, our collective empathy has dropped by about 50%. Scientists have been studying empathy for decades and we actually have developed a really good baseline to measure it. It's why we can sit here in 2020 and compare our collective empathy today to where we were in the 1970s. A fascinating reality is that the acceleration of the empathy decline has taken off in the past 10 years. 
And I don't think it's a coincidence the iPhone is about 10 years old, is it? Humans are programmed for contact and connection. Our brains are literally wired for it. Our mentalizing networks store our past memories and help us project our future thoughts, but it also helps us understand the feelings and rationalize the thoughts of other people. Have you ever seen one of those viral videos where a kid gets surprised by their mom or dad coming home from military deployment? It's usually like at a sporting event or something, and the dad runs in and picks up the kid and everyone starts crying. Have you ever cried at that? If so, that is your mentalizing network and your brainstem working together to connect the thoughts, the feelings, and the emotions of that family. And you can feel those too. You can also feel how hard it must have been for that family to be away from each other, and you can now experience a little bit of that joy and the relief that they're back home safe. But viral videos aside, our communication has evolved from sitting down across from someone and seeing their face for most of human existence, to text messages and emojis, and maybe now and then a Zoom call or two. We're unlearning and losing practice at being empathic. It's why our numbers are eroding, and it makes fighting for justice for others, identifying someone in need of help, maybe with a mental health issue, or just having a really good laugh with someone you love, a challenging or maybe worse, fleeting kind of thing. But there is good news. Despite our shrinking empathy as a collective, it's something we can get back. And that scientific breakthrough is actually pretty new when talking about how long humans have known about the idea of empathy in our history. The Greek poet Homer described hearts that have learned to glow for others' good and melt at their woes in the 8th century BC. He was talking about that connection to others' feelings and understanding. He was talking about empathy before it was even a word. So it's this thing that we've known about for a really long time. But for thousands of years, philosophers and scholars and even modern scientists have said empathy is a trait. You're either born with it or not. If you don't have it, you'll never have it. But for thousands of years, those people have been wrong. And now we know with some groundbreaking science that empathy is a skill that we can practice and get better at over time. But also, as we've seen in the data, if we don't keep exercising that muscle, it can atrophy and we can actually get worse at it. And we are getting worse at it. There's a pretty great experiment from some researchers at Stanford showing that we can all be uh, empathic, especially when there are the right incentives. The researchers divided men and women into two groups and asked them to identify the feelings of people in different pictures. In the first round, there was no incentive, and the women blew the men away. It wasn't even close. They were accurate about 30%, more accurate about 30% of the time. But the researchers did it again, and in round two, they said that they would pay the men for every feeling or emotion identified correctly. The results of round two were that men and women had the same accuracy. The empathy gender gap was closed with the right incentive. We all have it in there. We just need to consistently practice it and let that empathy out. So here are some incentives for why you should be more empathic that I think apply to all of us. Workers with high empathy show higher performance because they collaborate and connect with team members better, producing more overall output, and a positive business result. If you manage people in your job, bosses with higher empathy scores have employees with lower stress on average, and they show more productivity. 
More empathic people tend to have a higher number of friends in their social groups, and those relationships are on average deeper and longer lasting. If you're a doctor with high empathy, your patients recover faster and face less depression. These have all been studied and seem to be the right kinds of reasons to give empathy some attention. And anyone can do it. You just have to focus on it, and it basically means putting other people first instead of yourself. A novel concept, huh? So to know what to practice, let's look at the habits of highly empathic people so we know what we can do to get better. And there are really six things that they do extremely well. The first one is they are fully present. Empathetic people have a way of making you feel like you're the only one in the room. They use eye contact way more than the average person, and they study your face to understand both both overt um, and subtle emotions that we all use to communicate. This means they don't stare at their phone or scan the room. They're in the moment and fully connected. And if you want to be more in the moment, we have to put down or turn off the distractions and truly focus on the other person. In that same room, practice your eye contact and observe what you see. Your instincts will kick in and you'll likely create a better connection almost instantly. Don't underestimate the the facial cues uh, that go into expressing someone's uh, feelings or emotions. They those those speak thousands of uh, the, those pictures speak thousands of words that you're just attuned to pick up on, but you have to be in the moment to see it. So the second thing is, their empathetic people are great listeners. They actively listen, and that is a real thing and a skill kind of in and of itself. So to really support or help someone, you have to understand that person first, and and people with high empathy are great at that. They take the time to listen and understand their counterpart's priorities, preferences, motivations, and concerns. And people great at this skill can also draw out the answers in their dialogue by saying things like, what I'm hearing you say is blank, or giving brief verbal affirmations like, I see or I understand, wow, to create that connection and drive more sharing. So really practice being an active listener and come up with some of these subtle questions or or transitions to create affirmation and also continue to bring out more information by the person that you're connecting with. Number three is uh, high empathy people are great at seeing body language. So when a 13-year-old girl says she's fine but sits with her crossed arms and hunched shoulders, you know she's not. That one's really easy. But empathic people connect body language to words and emotions to complete the picture. So it's really important that we take stock of the nonverbal cues you are getting from people. It's why technology is hurting our empathy, especially when it's just calls or text messages. We can't see the body language and the facial expressions, so we lose sight literally of the emotional context of people. So we've got to fight at this, and when you're in the presence of other people, it's not just about their words, and it's not just about the eye contact, but make sure that you're taking in the broader understanding of their body language and the facial features to connect all the dots. And number four, high empathy people, they think before they speak. An empathic person usually isn't afraid of a little silence. They allow people to fully finish their thoughts and sentences. And then they also use pauses and silence to fully form their own thoughts and understandings before they speak. It creates more thoughtful responses. And also by letting another person finish their thought completely, that person feels more valued. Um, and can be connected to the conversation and where it goes next. Um, 
it's a really easy thing to practice. And, you know, just practice active listening and then practice your pause. Let people finish their thoughts before you dive in and try to try to solve it for them. And that kind of leads us to, to question or to thing number five, uh, trait number five, asking questions versus giving advice. People with high empathy don't usually say things like, here's what you should do or let me tell you what to do next. Instead, they usually ask questions to steer the discussion to self-illumination or discovery so the person they're talking to can see the path forward themselves. So they may ask things like, what would be helpful? Or if this happened, how would that make you feel? They try to use questions and active dialogue to show the support and lead others to their own answers. And this is something that I think we should all really practice and take heart of. Many times we'll tell people, here's what I think you should do. And oftentimes that's not what that person is looking for. They're really just looking for a connection and a dialogue um, and, sh- and, and the support of someone who cares. So instead of telling people what they should do, use active dialogue and questions to help, help them see the own, their own way and the own, their own path forward. Number six, and most importantly, they act. High empathy people may listen a lot and act, ask questions, but ultimately they act and they advocate. An interesting thing is many empathic people think in terms of we. They even say it a lot. We will make this happen. And they mean it because they're in the trenches with you. And, and so oftentimes they're so moved by the emotions and understanding the why of your feelings that they act. We all need to act and advocate for others at this time, whether that is fighting for racial equality or fighting to help someone with COVID. So moving forward, keep acting and fighting. It's good for your brain too. When you help others, your reward and pleasure centers of the brain get activated and you get a little dopamine hit. It feels great and helping others is the best kind of addiction. Maybe we should all get addicted to that. That sounds like a world I want to live in. Stay safe out there and keep helping others. Put them first, understand their emotions and why they feel the way they do. Be in the moment. Really listen. Take a pause. Let them finish their sentence. Show that you care and then lend a hand. We all can get better at our own empathy, so let's prioritize practicing it this week. Talk to you soon.